think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. We're looking at a human being, and there's a life story. 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 Connection to the people we don't know that live near us. An Elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back to the Elevated Denver podcast. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Walter. He shares his journey of leaving the criminal justice system, struggling to find support and housing, and then becoming a recipient of the Social Impact Bond, which helped him to find stability. It's a story of hope and redemption, and it's brought to you by our episode sponsor, Warren Village. Now, before we start, we want to let you know that we went through an informed consent process with everyone we interviewed. And before airing each of these episodes, we sent the recording to interviewees to make sure that they were still comfortable with us sharing their story. And before we hear from Walter, I want to acknowledge that parts of this story may be triggering for some listeners. If so, please take care. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. My name is Walter Boyd. Um, I'm currently, I'm 56. I have one 30-year-old son. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and got a degree in ministry, and I'm just here to share a story about some struggles in homelessness and incarceration and how my life has got turned around, and I hope to inspire other people who are out there that's looking for that hope that the reassuring that it is out there. Can I ask you a, a couple questions like, how did you get here? You know, I think it's the typical story. I met a girl in Detroit, and at the time I was a drug dealer, I was doing bad, and she was a real kind, sweet girl, and she just thought that I would have a better chance in Colorado than Detroit. Back in Detroit, people was dying going to prison, so she really felt like Colorado would be a better place for me to be. And plus, I was in love. I came from an 80% black community, so I didn't know about interracials. I didn't know about different races, uh, association with different races. I always been around my own race, so when I got to Colorado, it was a difficult adjustment because I was always the type to look over my back, or I was always the type was flamboyant. I was hustling, so I brought that Detroit mentality and Colorado was totally different, so I found myself getting caught up real easy. I got caught with submissive and all the drugs, and I was into, um, you know, organized crimes. I was selling weapons and everything. So when I got busted for the drugs, the feds didn't want to indict me, so I went to prison for getting caught with the drugs. Then when I was in prison, I got indicted by the state. And so on the RICO Act of the racketeering and organized crime, I ended up getting more time. So I ended up doing 10 years, and that's what caused my homelessness. Do you mind explaining how you felt going through that process and being incarcerated and coming from an environment where you had a place to live? Well, you know, being a hustler, you know, I had the best of everything, cars. I had the moving storage business, and I had you know, a house, and, you know, I just, I had all the means, but once I got incarcerated, I found out the truth about life. People only like you for what you have, and so most of the people that I entrusted, they took everything from me, 
But the hardest thing was I'd never been in prison. So, you know, it was a scary thing. I hurt my family so bad, they cut me off. So it was a lonely um, road for me because my family was just done with me. They they couldn't believe that I came out here with this sweet girl and I went to prison. So I kind of took a journey by myself for a while incarceration. When I come out uh, unhoused, the stereotypes were basically, you know, I'm a drug dealer. Nobody wanted me in their property. And then the community looked at me like, you know, I was a scum of the earth. So, you know, I go on job interviews, you know, we talk, people like me, I dress well. Then my family come up and I just see a cold shoulder come over. I see a bunch of excuses why they don't want to hire me. So, you know, I'm in shelters, I'm in the streets. You know, I'm I'm just fighting this demon. I, I need money and I know the money is out there but I really don't want to go back to prison. It, it's really one of them things that scared me, and I had a great opportunity. I went to Bible school, now I got this degree, I'm a minister, so I'm fighting with everything, but out here nobody really wanted to give me a chance. It was rough. Back then, it was on both sides. I think administrations and homeless people, so homeless fit, people felt like they didn't, administrations didn't care. Administrations probably felt like homeless people weren't deserving or didn't want it. Now. As I mean, you can testify to my now we have a voice. Now administrations and homeless is working together. You know, I I just want everybody to get rid of the stigma that homeless people want to be homeless. We really do want to play a place to stay. Mars got great success. I got a few years success in homeless. It's just a new day. And I'm I'm so glad to tell my story and just give hope to people. So, Walter, you were talking a little bit about the administration. Can you explain a little bit about what administration is to you? Well, administration is, basically, to me, I've seen the people that was in charge of your fate. They determine when you're going to get in housing and what housing that you're going to get into. You know, I feel comfortable talking about this now because administration is taking on a whole new look. When I was coming up, it was like, okay, two-year wait list or you'll put me in Capitol Hill, or you'll put me in Aurora. But see, them places is places that got me to prison, the people and the environment. And then when you're homeless, I felt like you just got to take what people give you. But now with administration and homeless people working together, I had a choice of two I want to live. Who ever thought I'd live in an upper-class suburb in Lakewood? You know, Whoever thought I'd be signing, doing a, a lease on a portal? I didn't even know you could do that. I thought all leases was paper. So now things are changing. The stigma is changing. Homeless people view case management administration a different way. And back then, they view us a different way. And I think the process of, with us coming and working together, that this homeless uh, condition is coming full circle. Me and a lot of people, it's really made a big difference. We just need a chance and we took that chance and we proved people wrong with it. Let me ask you um, a little bit about how you didn't have a choice. Um, what does that mean? What Can you explain to us about the yeah. choices? So if they told me we got a place on the fire points and the heart of drugs and game banging, I can't turn it down because I don't know when I'm going to get housing again. So basically a lot of people take what they could get and that usually... Um, turns into a cycle back to homeless again because you put them back in that same environment that they're coming out of. So they don't have no room for success. So when I came into it, I was in the natural stock, so 800 guys. In the height of COVID, I was sleeping on the cot. 
The coalition came looking for me. It was unheard of. I thought people was playing a joke on me. They was like, hey, somebody came looking for housing. I just signed up. I was only three months in my assignment. I thought it was three, two, uh, two years at the most. But the homeless actually, uh, coalition actually came and got me. During this time, what kind of support did you have to, to help you through the process of coming out of incarceration into the unhoused and to where you are now? Well, be truthful. You know, coming out with that college degree in ministry, I had my faith to rely on because it was hard, like I said. Um, I love the coalition, but when I got out of prison back, you know, in 2009, it was just a different story. It was two-year wait list. I'm a convicted felon. I'm, I'm selling drugs. You don't want me in your rental property. You know, the hardest thing for me, though, with the coalition, if people didn't ask me about my felonies or what I did, if they would just talk about Walter, who just got out, they would find out I was a college graduate. I turned my life around. I'm eager to prove to everybody that I want a new start. But everybody wanted to focus on my past. But if you talk to the Walter that's in front of you, I think you'd be very pleased. You would probably forget about the Walter in the past. So um, during this time, did your family um, contact you, or did you have any kind of support from them? No, I, I disappointed my family. And it wasn't like my family didn't um, love me. My biggest thing is because they've been for Detroit. They didn't know how Colorado was. My family thought I was going to die in prison. They was actually fearful of, you know, me not making it. And I heard a lot of people. And another thing is a lot of my family passed. My grandmothers, I had aunts. So I, I went there when family need. I'm from a family of eight. My mother from a family of 11. We real big. So I disappointed the family in a lot of ways. And I went there to support the family in a lot of ways. So this was a burden I had to carry. Once I came out of incarceration, I relied on my faith. So I said, well, I can't make it in the job market. I can't make it in the streets because my friends trying to pull me the wrong way. So I went to uh, Volunteers America. If you volunteer for six months, we'll see what you can do. But you need to be a part of something. So I cleaned bathrooms, slept the floor. I served meals. Then after six months, I was on the desk answer the phone, and people would come in and ask, do y'all pay rent or whatever? And VOA say no. I would tell people, hey, you go to coalition. You could go to Catholic Charities. And she called me. She said, well, let's open up this office and make it a resource and information referral. And we created a position for me to help people with resources. Then a little bit after that, she started letting me preach before they eat. So my support started to come from VOA, and then I got a chance to, you know, do newsletters, and then I started seeing the fruits of my rewards, so they gave me a little stipend, and then housing was kicking in. So it was a process. So when the support came in, it was because I, su I sought the right things. If I would have stayed in the streets, I would have been back in the penitentiary again. It was a lot harder when I got out because these programs weren't available, but now you got, you got various Places, like you said, VOA. Then, you know, Coalition got a place um, where you can go. And what I did is I went there, they put me on the computer, and then they created a job portfolio for me. And then they said, you know, your resume is impressive, but they say people do cover letters. So now I was putting cover letters with my employment. And they also was showing me how to use the computer and how to navigate different sites and stuff like that. 
So do you think that there's certain things that people should go about when they're coming, they're in the unhoused environment, going to different shelters? Is, is there a certain route that they should go to get the services so they can succeed? You know, this will work for me. I changed my environment and I changed the people that I dealt with. And I know it's a hard thing to do, but when you run into a circle of people or you're in the, in the same place all the time, you find yourself stuck there. And talk to people that you know got success in housing. They are your most valuable tools. Those are the people that's going to lead you in the right way. For people, you know, especially homeless, we so used to being looked down on or talked down on. So, you know, we put up walls. You know, it's very hard to trust somebody pulling up in a new car or wearing nice clothes or smell good to tell you, well, you need to get a place, you need to get a job. But if you see people generally that was in your situation and you see their life change, you can embrace that. That's something that you uh, draw you to it. You'd be like, hey, I want to know this. And so what I do is be patient with people. Be kind with them. They've been on the streets. Some of them might talk bad to you, but just be kind. Remember, you was there before. You know how hard it is. So my suggestion is be kind and be patient with people. We'll be right back. All companies want to be successful, but it's how they define success that makes all the difference. Companies that seek to perform financially and have a positive impact on people and the planet are a critical part of what it will take to build an elevated Denver. For key lessons in how to do this from best-in-class companies, including a surprising approach to prevent homelessness, Visit stakeholderbusiness.com. And now, back to the show. If there was something you could do to fix the services or the systems that are around us to help the unhoused, what would you do um, to fix those services? I would implicate peer specialists. I believe that people that are successful in housing, I think it's a combination you know, with me, I got two case managers come once a week. So accountability keeps me in line. People who don't want accountability usually have things to hide. They don't want you to see things that they don't. But when you have people coming and checking on you, accountability keeps you strong. But the main focus, I think, peer specialists, people that have real success in housing can reach so much more people than other people. You know, it's easy for me and Myra to go out there because we still got friends out there and we still can relate to a lot of people who've been through this. I think just a corporation with all of us working together, I see great success in Colorado being housing a lot of homeless people. What do you wish that would be more available here in Denver for people that are struggling through the unhoused environment? Communication. I think if this information was widely more available, you know, funny People just don't know. There's a lot of people walking around here as we speak just don't know. I just wish it was a system set up that it can be available for everybody in a, a homeless situation or alcohol or drug situation that could get help. The um, worst thing can happen is misinformation because you can leave a person that really need information down the wrong way and further do damage. You know, I think if everybody just play a small part I think it will put a big dent in it. And I just want to say for the record, it's no cure for homeless. 
all we're trying to do is make it less than what it is. When you were in the shelter and you said the Coalition for the Homeless, Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, came and found you, tell us more about that and what happened after they came. What did that look like? Well, at the time, it was the hyper COVID. I had just separated from my wife. So I was living in an eight-bedroom house in Park Hill, and my wife was going through a period of mental health and addiction, and I was so frustrated. I had to make a choice because I knew I didn't have no place to go. I didn't have a sufficient income, but I I, I made the decision I was going to leave. And it was felt like the worst decision in my life. I think I couldn't stand misery because I didn't know what I was walking into. So with the stock show, 800 guys, they all had cots on the floor. It was kind of rough, you know. It was guys was getting stabbed. A couple guys got killed. Their stuff was getting stolen, so I lost a lot of stuff. And then on top of that, the cot went good for my scoliosis, so I found myself, people helping me up to go to the bathroom, so my health went down. So anything that you think could go wrong went wrong for me. And... When the coalition sent out, you know, a peer specialist looking for me, and the day they looked for me, I went there, but they left a message for me to call. When you're going through rough times, you you can't really see positive things. I, I thought it was a joke. I just, I couldn't believe it. I just signed up three months ago. I know I got two years ago, and I'm, like, real frustrated. Well, who's saying they looking for me to give me a place? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Everything's just wrong for me right now. But I called, and it changed my whole life. It really did. I just, I'm still kind of amazed to this day how housing has reformed. So they they went and got you from the shelter, and then what did they do from there? What they helped you get your things, or how did what happened with that? The first thing they was concerned about was my health. So they told me at the shelter they had Street set up, so they made appointment. I got an examination. The doctor got me back on my medication. My muscles got strong. The pain started easing down. And then we addressed my issues with my wallet got stolen, my debit card, my ID. So they did that next. Then the shelter closed. The, they, the stock show say, we don't want them in here no more. 400 guys went somewhere. 200 women stayed at the Coliseum. I didn't make the list. So I called Mary. She said, well... We're going to put you in uh, integration housing, subsidized housing. You know, just, you know, they had a hotel on 38th and 38th, you know, and you could stay there until your housing came up. And so when I went there, it was beautiful. I had my own room, my own kitchen, nice-sized TV. And they had a food bank there, the cage manager coming. And, you know, they say, well, you know, in three weeks they found a couple places, but I, I couldn't stay there. I knew in my mind if I went there, I wouldn't make it. So on the sixth week, they said, what's going on, Walter? I said, I just need to be away from where I came from and the people. And so the house in Lakewood came up. And so I I started transitioning. Once I got my health together and once I seen administration where they was really working with me, I put 100% in it. And so even though that place was free, I, was, I could save money, I hurried up in six weeks and went to Lakewood. I just felt like I was a human being. I felt like I was a person. I felt like people, when they say they care about you and they want to do something, this is how you relate to people. You relate to them the way you are. I felt like somebody genuinely cared about me. 
when you got your place in Lakewood, how did you feel getting that place, being there, being in, in a different environment? Well, you know, the place I got, it wasn't a housing place. I was in a private realtor. So the first thing I said, I would have to reintegrate myself. I would like, I would have to, you know, start acting like the neighbors in my community. I would like, you know, being polite, you know, uh, being real sociable. I would have to be careful about my surroundings, you know, like not having people come back in, not having, you know, the noise too long, too loud. So it was scary because you got to reintegrate yourself again. You know, I'm living in neighbors that don't even get housing. I'm getting housing, but it's not a housing building. It's a private. So I got to be respectful towards my neighbor. Now I got to navigate my bills. I'm on disability. I know I could do this, but I can't do that. And so it's it's like going to prison. You're going into an environment that you've never been before. So it's scary. So it took me a little time. So can you tell me a little bit more about the social impact bond? Yeah, well, the social impact bond really is truly one of the best setups I've seen for somebody trying to get their first start. You know, being on disability, my income was real limited. So the social impact bond, what it did, it was able to pay my first month rent in my security deposit. So in my case, I was living in the studio in Lakewood, which was 1100 and my security deposit was 2000 So without the social impact bond, I would never have been able to move into that. I might have to be forced to go into an area I didn't want to go into, but the social impact bond gave me um, better opportunities to, you know, have success in housing. What it do is make a person who coming off the street feel like they're worthless. Now, when my case manager come to my place where I stay at now with the mom viewers, and they overexcited to me, and I'm looking, I'm like, why is they so happy that I got this great place? So that's what the social impact bond do. It gives you self-respect. You know, everybody works together for the greater good. But I just like to, for the record to state, you know, even though I'm doing good in my housing right now, it's not good that people are still homeless. I'm still out here fighting the fight to get many of these people off the street. I appreciate what I got, but I'm also, my heart is grieving knowing that people still sleeping on the streets. I want to take a minute to interject here and share a little bit more about the Social Impact Bond. You may remember the Social Impact Bond, or SIB, being mentioned in Season 1. The SIB was a program piloted in Denver starting in 2016. It was a housing-first approach that aimed at increasing housing stability and decreasing jail stays among the city's 250 highest utilizers of the healthcare system, emergency services, and jail. Chronically houseless individuals like Walter were given homes and wraparound services, and more than 75% of the 250 people who participated over two years stayed in housing and significantly decreased arrests, jail stays, and ER visits. It was considered a huge success and is currently being expanded in Denver. Now, let's get back to Walter as he tells us what he thinks is needed to best support successful housing stability. I would like to see more support for peer specialists and navigators. My, my big thing is, you know, when you have success, 
and your life is in the right direction, you want to share that with people and, and let them know it's hope. Because when you're out there on the streets, you think there's no hope or you don't think nobody has care. And that's what keeps you on the streets. And the reason I'm off the streets is because somebody came to me. It's not because I came to them. Once I became homeless, I started being conformed to how the people on the street live. It started to be a, a way of life, a way of norm. And that's, that's sad to say. That's because, you know, when people put you in this box, it seems like they got a way of keeping you in. And until somebody open that box and say, hey, it's all right to come out, you're going to stay in that box. So I think what it is, when you start seeing people being successful in the housing because people didn't bleed. So when the uh, social impact came out, they said, well, we went to private investors. They say, if you invest in this, you know, we can help a lot of people. And a lot of people say, no, why would we invest with homeless? They don't want no place to stay. Investors say, well, if you do this, y'all just pay us back the money with interest. My situation with many others was the shelters, you know, with the bed bugs, hygiene problems, fights, and, you know, theft. So I thought outside would be a better option for me. I really felt comfortable. I felt safe. And I just didn't like the structures of the shelters. You know, the times to come in, putting you out early in the morning. You know, 5 o'clock in the morning is hard for me. So the whole the structures of the shelters forced me to the streets. We don't want to be there, but the environment with the shelters forced us there. We really want to be inside, especially when it's 20 degrees, 5 below, or when it's dark and you hear noise. You know, you don't want to be in this alley. You're just praying that everything going to be all right. And sometimes it don't be all right. Is there anything else you would like to share right now? I'd like to thank, um, you know, the coalition for my, my housing. And I'd like to thank my case managers and, you know, Mayor Hycott for uh, talking to me. And, you know, and last but not least, I would like to thank the podcast, you know, Jonah and Jesse and Leanne. I mean, this is what it's all about. We all working together. It's not who got the most, who can do the most, but who got passion to help. So I just want to thank y'all guys for having me today. It's a new day, y'all. And with this podcast, the new day going to be brighter. Where we once was in darkness, light has came. So hold on, y'all. Don't give up. Walter, we appreciate you sharing your story. And we also want to thank our episode sponsor, Warren Village, transforming parents' lives and changing children's futures through transitional housing, wraparound services, and early childhood education for single families in Denver. Tune in next time for our interview with Betsy. She's a peer support specialist who is using her own lived expertise to support others by working for the Office of the Municipal Public Defender. Peer support is about being vulnerable and sharing similar experiences around mental health, substance use, and any life challenge, really, whether it's incarceration or, you know, like I said, houselessness. But it's really about inspiring hope and walking with people, modeling what is possible. The Elevated Denver Podcast is produced by Leanne Morrison, Myra Nagy, and Jonna Flood. Editing, sound design, and music are composed and provided by Jesse Boynton. Recording and production provided by House of Pod. 
If you found this episode interesting and would like to learn more about our work, please visit us at elevateddenver.co. And don't forget to let others in the community know about this podcast. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver.